Rob Cartledge here of robcartledgeministries.com. In 1 Peter 3.15, we are told to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Scripture exhorts us to be fluent in apologetics. In this world of postmodernism, our faith is being questioned more than ever before. In response, God has raised the standard and has given us more evidence for our faith than ever before. Apologetics 101. This is part three for those of those keeping count, of the uh, historical case for the resurrection series. And we're drawing this again from the book On Guard, written by William Lane Craig there. And that's the reason for the photos there. <laughs> Alrighty, so today our study on the resurrection of Jesus, we'll be looking at the uh, third fact, uh, sorry, the second fact, if we do that, uh, which is, yeah, Jesus' appearance is alive after his death. Uh, last week we looked at five of the seven facts that prove his tomb was empty. And so, yes, today we'll be going on to number two there. So, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8, Paul writes, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So we have here an authentic uh, letter written by a man who was personally acquainted with the first disciples. This is Paul, by the way. And he's actually saying that they saw Jesus and himself, uh, they all saw Jesus alive after his death. Paul here is making a pretty big claim. Are we to actually believe that Jesus appeared to these people after his death? If we return to our scripture, that's going to be our main one today, we're going to look at, uh, today we're going to look at all of the appearances that are featured in it. So our first one is Peter. Uh, and that was in the scripture as Cephas. Okay, so it's mentioned here uh, in 1 Corinthians, it's mentioned Peter's, the appearance to Peter is in one of the earliest Christian traditions that uh, historians date from about two years since Jesus left the earth. So it's pretty, pretty close to when it all happened, so we assume it's genuine. Uh, it also originated from the church in Jerusalem. So again, that sort of was the, the centre of everything. Uh, and Paul also testified to it as he wrote it in this letter, because he was passing it on, but he also wrote it in this letter. Uh, and he also knew Peter. So he also would have known if Peter was telling the truth or not. Because three years after Paul's conversion, he spent about two weeks with Peter and yeah, would, have, would have been able to sort this out with him. The appearance to Peter also appears in Luke's gospel, uh, in what appears to be another letter that Luke obviously knew and wrote into his gospel because it's inserted a bit awkwardly in the, in, the front, in the passage. So historically we can say we have good evidence that Peter did see the risen Jesus. This is also attested to by virtually all New Testament critics. They, uh, they say that the appearance to Peter is pretty much fact. So our second appearance is going to be to the twelve. This, of course, was Jesus' appearance to the original disciples in a group, sort of, in a group setting. Minus Judas, of course, uh, but the mere absence of Judas didn't affect the formal title of the groups. So they were still called the Twelve. Uh, this appearance is, again, very well backed up. It's in that early tradition that Paul had read. It's in Paul's letter, and he, of course, knew and had interaction with the disciples. So, again, would have known if it was true or not. So we've got two there. It also appears in Luke and John. And they both were using completely different sources. John was completely different to what Luke was using. So there we've got more sources. And it's a very important one when speaking to Muslims and 
uh, Jehovah's Witnesses because it actually shows Jesus showing his wounds and also eating food. So the, the argument that he only rose spiritually is pretty much put to bed in that because they, they saw him physically and eating and all that sort of stuff. So number three is the appearance to the 500. So what's interesting here in this account is that it's actually nowhere else found in the Bible, uh, which would make us sort of initially a bit sceptical about it. Paul himself had personal contact with some of these witnesses, though, and he was able to say that he knew some of them had actually died. In fact, the scripture, which we read before, just the small part, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. This gives us good grounds for belief. There is really no purpose in Paul saying that some of them are still alive unless he's really saying the witnesses are there to be questioned because he was writing to the, to the people there. So if this hadn't taken place, if the appearance had not taken place, there would have been no witnesses for Paul to say, go and ask them. So he couldn't have challenged them in this way. And this is where William Lane Craig says that the reason this event wasn't recorded in other writings is probably because it took place in Galilee. The Gospels focus on what took place in Jerusalem and again this makes it plausible that this appearance actually occurred. So number four is the appearance to James. So next, Jesus appeared to James, his younger brother. I have a younger brother. Yeah, that's a bit funny. (laughs) Uh, What makes this interesting is that in Jesus' lifetime, his brothers, including James, didn't believe in him at all. They didn't think he was the Messiah. They They didn't think he was king and all that. Uh, we spoke how last week that the more embarrassing a story is for the for the cause, the more likely it is to be fact. We spoke about the women discovering the tomb and how that couldn't have been made up because it's just so yeah. embarrassing for the uh, for the disciples. So we know from Scripture that James actually became the head of the church in Jerusalem, and uh, from an, another extra biblical source from Josephus, we learn that he was uh, illegally stoned to death by the Jewish council in AD sixty. So from an unbeliever. He went to the head of the church and then laid down his life for the cause. So there was definitely something remarkable that happened in his life. Uh, So there was, yeah, the uh, life-transforming thing obviously happened. According to most scholars, the fact that Jesus appeared to him is the very reason for this transformation. Okay, and our last one, and I think probably the most, the biggest one, we've got the appearance to Saul of Tarsus, who of course uh, became Paul. Now, the story of Jesus appearing to Paul is retold many times throughout the Bible and is referenced in Paul's writings numerously. Saul was a rabbi, a Pharisee, and a respected Jewish leader. He hated Christianity and tried to stamp it out, even by murdering believers. Then suddenly, something happened and he gave up everything. He entered a life of poverty and suffering, was whipped, beaten, and left for dead, and I think he was even shipwrecked three times. So he even attributes uh, to the fact that this life-changing thing was because he saw Jesus our Lord. So after looking at at this evidence, we see that the fact of Jesus' post-mortem appearances to various individuals and groups is firmly established historically and that he appeared bodily and physically. So just to finish off, the Australian agnostic philosopher said, I've forgotten the name, so that's all we've got at the moment, for a God that created all there is in the universe, the odd resurrection would be child's play. So hopefully this has again built up our faith and belief in the risen Christ and Jesus and the truth of Christianity and to what we believe. So if we want to hand out the emblems. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for what you did. You came down to earth. You taught us, you showed us how we should be living. And while doing this, Lord, you knew that we wouldn't uh, follow it 
we'd always uh, we would always sin. And so while you were here, you you came and you you died for us, and you took the sin upon yourself. And the remarkable thing about it is that yes, you are God, you are God. And so we thank you for your or for the the fact of the empty tomb, as we looked at last week. We thank you for the evidence again for the uh, appearances of you after you were crucified. So let us now take take of the bread uh, in remembrance of your body that was broken for our sins. Let's take of the bread. Also take of the of the symbolizing or the symbol of wine, the cordial here. Remember, remember you for the blood that you poured out for us, and help us to be under the blood as we walk through this week and this this next year. And we are truly thankful for this. Amen. Amen.